When you need to send money abroad to your family or friends or whoever, send it with TransferWise. They give you the real exchange rate for a laughably low fee, which makes them cheaper than a bank or PayPal. TransferWise also offers a debit MasterCard that always gives you the real rate when you spend overseas. TransferWise is your Swiss army knife for international finance. Test them out for free at transferwise.com reset or download the app. Hey, this is Arielle, and I'm the host of Reset. And a little disclaimer here, I have a cold, so my voice might sound a little bit different. Anyways, today on the show, we're talking about micro-targeting and why companies like Google are suddenly saying that they want to limit it. Google announcing restrictions on political ads. Google narrowing the targeting of ads on Google. Google announcing it will stop giving advertisers the ability to micro-target political ads. And that's all happening without any sort of significant or formal government intervention. The decision to limit micro-targeting I don't think does anything to stop the problem of misinformation, disinformation. They say that, yes, we know that political campaign strategists, both sides of the aisle, Democrats and also the GOP, have raised concerns about how our changes may alter their targeting strategies. Uh, Look, I think the tech companies in general are struggling trying to figure out how to deal with a lot of these issues regarding political ads. So basically, in late November, Google announced that they're going to limit micro-targeting on their advertising products. So search on YouTube, things like that. That's Emily Stewart. She's a reporter at Recode and Vox.com, and she's been covering the debate surrounding political ads online. So basically what they're saying is, Political advertisers used to be able to talk to you specifically online, and now they're going to be limited a little bit. They can still find you probably, but instead of talking to me personally, Emily Stewart, they have to talk to a woman between the ages of 25 and 40 who lives in Brooklyn at my zip code. Okay, so it's not as specific as it was previously. Right, and not as efficient. So if you're a political advertiser, you're going to probably have to spend a little bit more money to reach me than you did in the past. A huge part of this debate centers around micro-targeting. Without necessarily focusing on what micro-targeting means for politics, what is micro-targeting? Micro-targeting is basically how finely advertisers can define how they talk to you online. So it's how they use consumer data and demographic information to find the audience they want to speak to. So you can target by age, by location, by your interests. You know, are you into Peloton? Are you into SoulCycle? Are you into Tom's shoes? And that's sort of how they find you. So how do most people experience micro-targeting? I mean, a lot of the time you'll see it like in your Facebook feed, in your Instagram, in your Twitter. You'll see, you know, in your normal feed, you see an ad for, I don't know, a dress. And you can actually click through like on Facebook and say like, why am I seeing this ad? So I saw an ad for Reformation. I was like, okay, why am I getting this? And it thinks I'm interested in Lululemon and Peloton, that I have a bachelor's degree, that I speak English, and I'm between the ages of 18 and 45. That is how the advertiser found me. So in the context of a political campaign, how does micro-targeting work? What does it look like? So basically a lot of what happens is that campaigns have a lot of information about you, not only that they've gathered online, but offline. So they know from different secretaries of state in different states 
how often you vote if you are registered to a certain political party. They also have information on voters in terms of their email address, their phone numbers. And so what they can do is combine that data with Facebook's database, with Google. They can kind of upload it and then serve you specifically ads or serve people like you specifically ads. So that's how they use it. Why are people worried about micro-targeting for political campaigns? Why is this controversial? I think there is just a question of, like, how specifically we want messages to arrive at voters. So, like, if I can send a super, super targeted, like, voter suppression campaign to someone, there's a chance that not a lot of people know it's even going on. So, like, if I'm sending you ads telling you, I don't know, that, like, Bernie Sanders is an evil socialist that's going to take away your health care, and I'm only sending it to, like, 100 people who are super key for, like, a certain state or whatever— then it's hard to, like, counter that message if you don't even know what it's happening. And so I think that is, like, a big part of the conversation. And there's also just this broader conversation, you know, with Facebook about politicians being able to lie in ads. I think this is just all sort of anxiety more broadly about political advertising because it is such a fast format. Like, you've seen groups on the left and on the right. So, like, Brad Parscale, who is President Trump's re-election campaign manager, has said, like, this is horrible. I can't believe that Google's taking away micro-targeting, that Facebook is thinking about it. You have on the left Democratic groups that this is core to their strategy, micro-targeting on Facebook and Google. They're saying limiting this is awful. But you also have plenty of advertisers saying, like, all right, fine. Like, we'll figure out a different way. This isn't ideal. And you have, you know, a lot of people saying campaigns should not be able to use the Internet in the same way that brands do. You know, it's one thing if I bought a pair of shoes that I didn't want. It's another thing if I thought something untrue about a political candidate and then didn't vote for them or was confused about climate change or abortion and was getting messages that were incorrect. So that's the debate surrounding micro-targeting. But I wanted to know just how much information campaigns actually have on us and how they're using it. To answer that, I spoke with David Goldstein. He's the co-founder of a consulting group called Tovo Labs and a former senior analyst for President Obama's chief pollster. And I asked him, how much does a political campaign actually know about a given voter? I hesitate to use a term like everything, Mm. um, but we have thousands of data points um, on every single individual voter uh, within the United States. Um, And it can almost be disturbing when you get into the data and see precisely how finely grained we know and understand your life. Um, Another way I can use uh, what they call geolocation data is by purchasing essentially what's happening with your smartphone on a day-to-day basis. Mm. Um, What I'm purchasing there is essentially where that smartphone is going, assuming that smartphone is with you. Right. And so what I can take a look at is the places where you're visiting, um, the places where you're not visiting, which is uh, crucial. And if I can spot Um, you know, a certain part of the city or a certain part of the state, uh, it seems like a lot of my potentially persuadable voters are congregating. I can send my candidate there um, at a certain time of day where I know there's going to be a high number of persuadable voters um, and hopefully have them speak to them and pull some of them over onto uh, his or her side. That's not the only information campaigns have on us. In some instances, they use something called psychographics, which basically means that campaigns classify voters based on their personality to find out how to communicate with them more effectively. 
it's not clear if that works to influence elections, but campaigns are doing this, so it's worth talking about. So instead of putting you through a normal survey, which is essentially, how do you feel about this guy? How do you feel about this guy? What are you worried about? What are you not? Uh, We are now having you take things like the big five ocean personality tests so we get a very (laughs) deep read on, uh, you know, your precise personality so we can mold our targeting, our creative, to essentially tap into whatever we learn about you, whether it's you're highly neurotic, whether it's you're, you know, a big introvert, you know, that we can finally spin that towards you. So psychographics is now kind of being used in that way. So how exactly would one get this personality-driven data? You know, are you sort of paying attention to what BuzzFeed quizzes people are, are taking? Or is it that they are following Enneagram Instagram accounts? Like, how do you know what personality a person might have? Yeah, of course. Um, so originally, this was set up by a gentleman by the name of Alexander Kogan working out of Cambridge University, and he essentially came up with an app, um, a Facebook app. And what it allowed him to do, um, it was called like My Personality, and it puts you through the entire ocean uh, personality quiz. Uh, but then as a add-on to that, in order to get your results back, you had to give Kogan permission to download your data set. Uh, but then also, because Facebook permissions were very lax at the time, he downloaded all of your friends' data sets as well. This is the whole Cambridge Analytica this, scandal exactly, that you're talking about. Exactly. Okay, cool. I was like, what <laughs> exactly. Cambridge are we that's, talking about yeah, here? Yeah, exactly. Cool. That's what led to that. So he kind of had it easy, right? He got mm-hmm. like 80 million people to do that. It was unbelievable. Uh, for uh, researchers and pollsters, now what we have to do is uh, it's either part of a kind of given survey, right? So just the same kind of survey methodologies, um, or um, they can uh, do an app as well, or um, Amazon Turk has become very popular. So um, you pay a certain number to go through the personality test, um, and then typically you also ask for permission directly from them uh, for uh, social media data, uh, depending on what um, you're after at the time. Broadly speaking, why is micro-targeting useful for campaigns? You know, what, what's, what's the ultimate goal here? Sure. So micro-targeting is key for any campaign. Uh, you have a limited amount of resources and a limited amount of time to achieve an extremely tangible outcome, right? It's very binary. Either you win or you lose mm-hmm. on this day. So all of your time, all of your resources has to be directed specifically at getting to that, as they call it, the 50% plus one, right? Um, at the same time, where you're sending your candidate, you know, where she's going, where she's giving speeches, what she's giving speeches on, who's coming to her rallies, um, who's coming to her meet and greets are the precise kind of people that you need to get there um, in order to get to that 50% plus one. One of the things that I am always concerned about is um is starting from the standpoint that this works. I actually, do we actually know that it works, and, and how do we know that micro-targeting works? Right. Um, you know, it's a great question. I always kind of start with Facebook and Google would not be two of the most insanely wealthy companies on Earth if this didn't work, mm. uh, right? I mean, those are—Facebook and Google are basically advertising platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, the vast majority of the revenue comes in from advertising. If advertising— it, it can't. It can be very ruthless in both the political and the corporate realms. You know, if you get budget to run a marketing campaign and you do not get a certain amount of purchases or you know whatever else you're you're looking for back, your budget is cut. So people who run these campaigns on Facebook and Google are extremely accustomed um, to pushing people toward 
whatever it is, buying toothbrushes or you know, voting for Donald Trump. But it, it, you're, you're absolutely right that for a lot of people, it is genuinely tough to imagine that we're actually changing voters' minds um, simply through uh, digital persuasion. So that's what micro-targeting in politics looks like. It's using information like location data, names, addresses, and past voting records to reach each voter more effectively to either get them to vote for a specific candidate or to dissuade them from voting at all. And that practice is getting more sophisticated, but it's not new. So you got to ask yourself, what exactly is at stake right now for our democracy? I'm going to talk to David about that after the break. Every year around the holidays, I start to wonder if this should be the year that I finally send out a holiday card with an update on my life and my family. You know, we got a dog this year, Reggie. Um, maybe I, maybe now is the time for me to finally send out a card. If you're not like me and you actually have your act together and you know that you're going to send out a holiday card, one option is Vistaprint. Vistaprint doesn't take much time at all. So you can simply pick out a shape like a square or rounded corners, maybe folded or flat, and then choose one of Vistaprint's designs. And your satisfaction is 100% guaranteed, or they'll make it right, either by reprinting your order or offering a refund. Vistaprint has hundreds of card designs and custom calendars for gifts that keep on giving all year round. So this season, go to vistaprint.com to get up to 50% off of all holiday cards and photo calendars plus great deals on photo gifts at vistaprint.com. Just enter promo code RESET50. That's vistaprint.com and promo code RESET50. The offer expires on January 5th. Before the break, I was speaking with David Goldstein, who's the co-founder of Tovo Labs and who previously worked with President Obama as a senior analyst. Even though the conversation surrounding micro-targeting right now largely centers around what conservatives are doing and whether that's okay, the Obama campaign was really well known for its own use of micro-targeting back in the day. So I asked David about that. Yes, it was seen as being one of the biggest innovations um, that politics had seen. Uh, We were able to identify at a very granular basis, um, not simply persuadables and base and not base, but people who were likely to volunteer, people who were, you know, had donated $25 but could probably actually donate $100. Uh, We were able to identify people who were willing to bring their friends to the polls, right? So we were able to shape and shape and shape um, all the communications and all the advertising down to the point where it was it was almost at an individual level. Mm. Um, we were able to get them to take a variety of pro-candidate actions. That had never really been done before, and I think we broke a lot of new ground that way. Did the Obama campaign get any pushback on that? Was it critiqued or, or, or were people applauding it? No, I mean, for the most part, people applauded it. I think with the meltdown uh, post-Trump with Cambridge Analytica, mm-hmm. where they tried to go back and say, well, this is nothing different than what the Obama team did in 2012. Um, it was very different. Um, and I'm not even speaking as a partisan here. I'm speaking as you know somebody who actually has to 
teach this stuff also um, to others. 2012, you, you know, uh, the campaign sought permissions uh, from its users in order to take a look at what their friends were doing. It would it would ask somebody right. to come on and help the campaign, possibly through Facebook, right? And we could provide, if that person agreed to it, a list of their friends who were registered to vote and we thought would come out and vote for Obama. The difference being that you asked for consent. Exactly. You know, you could say, well, the person was providing you with their friends' names. Those friends didn't Those have— Those friends didn't—yes, didn't, didn't, yes, didn't have an opportunity to consent. Exactly, yeah, exactly. But it, it it also wasn't to the point where we were downloading their full data sets also and then activating upon those as well, again, um, you know, without them being aware of it at all. When it comes to social media, I really can put um, some pretty heinous stuff out there. In TV, it's kind of a spray method, right, where you're hoping, you know, that maybe some percent is actually who you're trying to move is actually going to see your ad. Uh, with the tools that social media equips us with, we're able to provide the exact names of the people who we want to hit, and then the platforms will take over and make sure we hit them uh, with our content. And like I said, there's nothing stopping that content from being very dangerous um, and potentially damaging. Does micro-targeting allow candidates to hide parts of themselves to certain voters, right? It, it, is that because I feel like if you really push it, right, if I'm seeing a different version of a candidate than somebody else, does that mean that I'm also not seeing the things that that maybe should worry me, that maybe I should know about as a voter? Yes. One of the things we are unsure of is if when Facebook or Google figure out, for example, that you're a Biden supporter, mm -hmm. um, if negative Biden content will be eliminated from your feed because mm. they're worried that it'll impact your engagement right. with their platform. Sure. Um, that's a huge worry. Um, one of the things that um, I've even seen in my personal life is how much um, you know a dedicated campaign can start to shape the reality of an individual as well. Uh, I love to give the example of you know my uh, my very deeply conservative former military uh, you know Christian father-in-law in Tennessee who I, I watched it. Uh, he and I you know, had our computers up. We had Google up. Um, I put in Trump Russia. He put in Trump Russia. First result on my page was Mueller report, blah, blah, blah. Sure. First report on – first hit on his page was Uranium One Clinton. Um, and so that's wow. the point to me where this stuff really gets terrifying is because even if my father-in-law had a doubt – even if he was like, you know, what if there really is something to this Trump-Russia stuff? Right. The way Google was shaping his kind of information environment would block him from ever finding out, you know, the truth of the matter, such as it were. Given those examples, how do you feel about micro-targeting? Do you feel like it's a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it ethical? You know, where, where do you stand now? I think it's absolutely awful. Um, and it's absolutely awful because it is so unregulated right now. One of the whistleblowers from Cambridge Analytica spoke about listening to the postmortem um, after 2016 and one of the Cambridge Analytica psychologists bragging about the fact that they had identified a huge cohort of highly neurotic uh, potential Trump supporters. And they found that by feeding those people um, mm -hmm. who were testing very high for neuroses, highly inflammatory, extremely scary content via email, 
they could trigger a huge amount of engagement and sharing oh, um, wow. and actions okay. to vote. Um, that's just scary to me, knowing, you know, plenty of people who are neurotic and knowing, you know, what can set them off, um, given that we're not really sure how far we're able to digitally persuade someone to go, I think you're getting into some areas where because it's a free-for-all, because the worst actors, the most malicious people um, are not being hemmed in or regulated in any kind of significant way, I'm convinced there are uh, plenty of very dangerous events uh, occurring that we simply don't have the insight we need in order to stop them. And it's simply because micro-targeting has become essentially the Wild West with no reduction in, in its actual power. What I'm getting from you is that even though you seem to suggest that that the Obama campaign really benefited from this type of, of tool, is that you feel like it is something that is um, that we just don't know how far we can push it, right? That it is a it is potentially a weapon that could be really really dangerous. Yes, exactly. We had just certain things we wouldn't go into with the Obama campaign. We and the reason we wouldn't do them is because we just knew they were bad. And you mm. just don't do that. And we knew mm-hmm. our our counterparts on the Republican side of things felt the same way. You know, we were depending on this normative behavior from our campaigns for so long, we didn't realize how little of it was actually encoded in law and was simply based upon the goodwill of the people involved. Well, that's basically the entire story of the Trump administration, right? It is realizing that so much of U.S. politics has been tradition, has been Mm -hmm. convention, as opposed to actual regulation. Exactly. So that also applies to campaign work. And we're in a particularly dangerous time now, uh, simply because the FEC is considered almost a non-factor at this point. Um, The Federal Elections Commission. Exactly. They're they're basically the only significant regulator of any election-related behavior, and they're essentially unable to enforce um, any of the regulations or codes or guidelines, laws um, that are on the books now. Okay, so... (laughs) (laughs) Tell them a lot of fun at parties. No, I mean, (laughs) listen, you're a lot of fun at this party. So what is the move here? How do we deal with micro-targeting? Sure. I think through heavy government regulation, um, starting with um, how our data is collected and then how it's used. This should be a perfectly transparent process. Everybody should be aware of who is holding their data and who they're selling it to and how it's being used. I almost said against them, although obviously that's the thing. 99% of all advertising is perfectly safe, right? It's a new coffee shop in your area. It's Mm -hmm. a toothbrush. But we should be able to get that data um, and be able to take a look at it. Um, And once we identify people who are clearly uh, using the data inappropriately, um, heavy punishments need to be put into place. You know, I think that's another mistake that I've seen very often in electioneering is somebody will go kind of afoul of the law, but it's such a light slap on the wrist that they get that it doesn't really stop them from doing it again. You know, that's kind of the ball game there. And I think that'll greatly affect the platforms and that'll greatly affect the rest of us. You know, most importantly, because, right, Facebook does not sell your data. When they say that, they are totally right. What they sell is the ability to manipulate you based on your data that they've analyzed, that their data scientists have looked Mm. at, that their algos have figured out the best way to change your behavior to do X, 
that ability is what they sell to their advertisers. And that just has to be made into a transparent process or else, you know, I think we're, we're going down a very dark path right now. And I, I am not one who sees a lot of light at the end of this tunnel. David Goldstein is the co-founder at Tovo Labs, a digital consultancy. David, this is one of the more interesting conversations I've had in a while. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me on. I'm Ariel Zimros. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at ADRS. You can also reach the Reset team by emailing reset at vox.com. Reset comes out three times a week on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. So if you haven't already, subscribe to the pod. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or in your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us. We'll be back on Sunday. Later, nerds. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.